Hello, hello. It is Cherry, your host. I have a little bit of housekeeping to do before we get this episode kicked off. Firstly, welcome back. We went on a bit of a break and I am so glad that the exam hall is back and hopefully better than ever. Uh, Number two, this episode was recorded at the Edinburgh Fringe which was amazing. Uh, However, it does mean that my recording setup was slightly different. Those of you who have been to the Fringe will know how crazy and manic and busy the Fringe can be, so it was quite hard to find somewhere quiet and private. So please do excuse any background noise or audio issues that you hear during this episode. Thirdly, I think that's what number I'm on. Yeah, thirdly. Thirdly, um... While I was at the Fringe, I also recorded a very special video episode where I ran around with a mortarboard on and asked the people of the Fringe questions from the All Souls exam. And if you want to go and watch that, you can do so now on YouTube. The link is in the description of this episode. I think it is hilarious and informative if I do say so myself. Lastly, this episode is about the concept of agreeing to disagree. And while editing, some thoughts and questions came to me that I didn't really consider at the time of recording, but I think are important. So I'm going to pose you these questions as things to consider while you listen to this episode. Firstly, what value does agreeing to disagree have in the context of political revolutions? How do we mediate agreeing to disagree with direct actions such as the suffragette bombing campaign or the statue of Edward Colston being pulled into the Bristol Harbour? When a group of people are being discriminated against, when they're being attacked and brutalised, when their very existence is being criminalised, is agreeing to disagree even an option? If you will excuse my total lack of nuance, is it okay to punch Nazis? The thing that really sparked these questions for me was Philosophy Tube's video on violence and protest, and I highly recommend that you go and watch that video. It's very, very well produced, as is all of Philosophy Tube's work. I'll put the video link in the description of this episode. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode of The Example. Hello and welcome to the exam hall. This is the podcast where I sit down with a guest and we answer questions from what is known as the hardest exam in the world, the All Souls Fellowship exam. My name is Cherry. I am your host. I am an ex-education professional, soon to be uni student, and I am at the Edinburgh Fringe. It's so great. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. I am glad that you have returned. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, however, let me get you up to speed. Let me clue you in on what's going on here. All Souls College Oxford is maybe the most prestigious and exclusive academic institution in the world. Each applicant must sit four three-hour exams two specialist papers and two general papers, which is where we will be drawing our questions from. If you are lucky enough to be awarded one of only two possible fellowships per year, you receive funding and resources for a seven-year period to fund any research project of your choice. To be eligible to apply, however, you must already hold a degree from Oxford or be currently studying there at postgraduate level. However, here at the exam hall, there is no eligibility criteria. Everybody is qualified by virtue of existence. So, without further ado, I am going to welcome today's guest. I am so excited to have him here. It is the wonderful Finn Ross Russell. Salutations. Salutations. How are you doing today, Finn? I'm, I'm doing all right. I've, I've had a little bit of a mare with the technology. All my stuff just stopped working (laughs) yeah not great it's i guess the universe is against you today i feel like the universe is a little against me today the shower in my hostel just like flooded and wouldn't drain and it got all of my clothes wet um so i think i think there must be a conspiracy against us the world doesn't want this podcast recording to happen well i think it's just the nature of the edinburgh fringe right like we're here at the edinburgh fringe i live in edinburgh so i'm up here for the whole month and i spent the first week of this festival feeling so good seeing loads of shows all the energy and i kept turning to to my wife and saying you know what mel like we're due for a crash like we're due for a real like energy drain and luck going against us and things going wrong 
And this second week, that has pretty much been exactly <laughs> what has happened. So I'm, I'm now a little bit ill. My uh, the headphones randomly stopped working, even though they were working perfectly fine before. Uh, the, the, the microphone that we're recording on, the batteries suddenly just dropped and decided they weren't going to work. I mean, all the drama. But, you know, I, I think... In life, you can't have the, the light without the dark. So in a way, it's, it's, it's good because it means that now I'm due for more good luck. Exactly. That's such a great way of looking at things. I'm, I'm definitely feeling that like first days of Edinburgh euphoria. Like, there's so much art and culture and everybody is here. I keep bumping into people that I know. And, I, and maybe this is me being a cynic, but I am a little bit like, what is coming for me? Because things have been going very well and maybe it's the shower maybe maybe it was the shower that i had coming for me that i flooded my hostel shower hang on like how flooded not that flooded i am being a little bit over dramatic but it was like a you know a shower room yeah like it and the shower wasn't draining so it filled the room and I, i had my clothes on the floor like on the other corner of the room and all of my clothes got wet drama man i know oh, i was i was just very lucky there was only one other person in the room because i was it was starting to leak out the door a bit into the rest of the room and so i was just i was very nervous but the very nice maintenance man at the hostel fixed it for me but yeah you cannot have light without dark you cannot have edinburgh euphoria without flooding shower rooms you know that age-old proverb <laughs> i love the idea that the antithesis of the edinburgh fringe is just a room with water slowly <laughs> and awkwardly filling up inside it that sounds like glastonbury in- it's glastonbury oh my, oh my god of edinburgh it's glastonbury <laughs> a room slowly filling with water does feel like an artsy student art piece that you would find in a weird back room at edinburgh so I think we've made. We, I feel like we've cracked something here. I feel like, and maybe that's this is the end of the podcast. We've we've answered <laughs> we've answered some philosophical question that nobody asked. Finn, I'm so glad to have you here and to be with you recording. Tell me, Finn Ross Russell, what qualifies you to be here today? How are you qualified to be here? And we use qualifications in a very liberal sense. Those may be uh, qualifications gained traditionally at uh, an academic institution, or those could be. Uh, more unconventional qualifications gained from the school of life? Well, Cherry, my, my qualifications list is actually disappointingly small in that because I was homeschooled, I didn't do exams, uh, so I don't have any of those to be able to go off. The only bit of paper I had that says I am vaguely smart is I did a BA in drama, applied theatre and education uh, from the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. The, the biggest memory I have from that course was... In the first term, I had a director come in and direct us on a project, and they told me life advice that I've kept with me ever since. They said to everyone in this group, to a whole load of, let's keep in mind, like 18, 19-year-olds, everything in life should be tried once except incest and Morris dancing. And (laughs) ever since then, I feel like I have lived my life very much on the philosophy of, you know what, let's give these things a go. Let's give it a go, absolutely. What did they have against Morris dancing? What's going on there? I don't know. And given that murder remains on that list and, you know, tax evasion and bank fraud, it's, it's quite impressive that Morris dancing made the list. Yeah, that is, that is quite... Um, there's a few things I would definitely add to that list, but I feel like the, um, the sentiment is there. Life's about experiences. Like, ultimately, we get so wound up in, this is a career pathway that I have to have, or this is what I have to achieve, or I have to find the love of my life. And in reality, like, the, the best moments that you have, particularly when you're in this kind of 18 to 25 bracket that I have recently departed, but have been in for a lot of the time, it, it's about developing those anecdotes and those stories and those memories where you look back on them and go, oh, yeah, I did that, and that was fun. And I've been very lucky in that regard to have had so many amazing experiences within that time. I'm a huge Eurovision fan. I have attended two Eurovisions in person. I have covered Eurovision uh, twice as a journalist in the press center. Just mind-blowing cool experiences. That is exceedingly cool. That is the coolest thing ever. Being able to cover Eurovision as a journalist and having the journalist... I mean, there's a qualification. I'm a, you're a big... Euro, that's Listen, that's... 
in my eyes, that's on the same level as like astrophysics degree. I covered Eurovision twice as a journalist, and I know everything about Eurovision. That's fucking sick. I, I do know everything about Eurovision, <laughs> which is quite funny. But I think the thing with me that I'm very proud of about me is that there are a range of different worlds that I've also kind of ticked some of these goals off. So I've been to all 92 stadiums in the top four English leagues, wow. for example. Um, you know, been all over the country, experienced so much doing that. I'm a West Ham fan. This year I watched my team win a European trophy, which is, like, mind-blowing, given that we're terrible most of the time. <laughs> um, you know, I've been part of some amazing projects, got to work with some amazing people, been in weird situations where I've been, like, flown out to China for theatre conferences, all these amazing things that, that qualify me to be able to take this exam because... I have tried everything once, except incest and Morris dancing, and now I'm here to impart my wisdom onto your listeners. <laughs> I think that's a hefty list of qualifications. For the first time in this uh, podcast, which I'm quite nervous about, <laughs> Finn hasn't picked the question. Finn said to me, just pick a question and throw it my way. Um, so today's question comes from 2006. It is from the general paper one. It is question five on the general paper one, and it is, should people agree to disagree? Um, the really short answer is yes, but I think I need to write an essay for this, so I'll, I'll yeah. flesh this out a little bit. Yeah, let's flesh it out. What's, what are your initial reactions to that question? My initial reaction is that, and again, I, I apologize in advance because this is going to sound horribly uh, Twitter, social media focused. But the world has gotten to the point now where because of, you know, fake news and misinformation, you can effectively pick the reality that you want. Mm. If you are a Trump supporter and you want to believe that the election was stolen, you have all the information and all of the kind of uh, enabling available to you to go and do that. And similarly, if you want to say that uh, all people that vote Tory are horrible uh, misunderstood, you know, horrible people, then you also have the ability to, to do that. And I think that's horrible because I think in the midst of all of it, we've lost this concept of what nuance is and this idea that maybe you can be somebody that thinks some left-wing policies are a really good idea and some right-wing policies are a really good idea. Or, you know, you can, you know, like football, but also want to go and follow other things and do other stuff with your Saturday afternoons. You know, I, I, I think it's become really easy to just say, I am the far side of the spectrum on something, yeah. rather than saying, well, actually, I like a bit of this and I like a bit of this. So, yeah, people, people need to get better at agreeing to disagree and, and also, to add on top of that, respecting each other's opinions. Yeah, Absolutely. How do we start to tackle this question? How do you think we should begin to break it down? If this, what would be your essay structure if you were going to sit down and write an essay on this? Well, again, I'm I'm a little bit biased here. In that, I think both of us are a bit biased here, in that we've worked with young people as as part of our um, careers and professional practices. But I think it's one of those things that that starts with the youth. You know, <laughs> if we're being honest. Um, by the time you become an adult, particularly when you reach kind of your late 20s, you're pretty firmly established as who you are, in who you are as a human being. And you're less likely to listen to people who have a different opinion from you and actually go and take that on board. Which is why the work that teachers do today is so, so, so vitally important. Because... I mean, again, this sounds cheesy, but they literally are shaping young minds. You know, we, you want to talk about um, why, for example, today, I think if you are uh, trans or LGBTQ+, you're so much more accepted than you were certainly back when I was going to school. It's because those teachers, you know, effectively our generation have now grown up, become teachers, and are telling kids, no, just because, you know this is how a person identifies, you know, it's none of your business, it has nothing to do with you, just be respectful of that other person. And I think some of the progress that's being made today is fantastic, but I think it's clear from the society that we live in that we also have a long way to go. And, and to offer a slightly kind of darker view of it, you know, we kind of need 
some of the people with more antiquated views that aren't willing to listen to these things to to die out <laughs> in order in order to like literally create a world in which um you know the people that have more tolerant opinions and don't balk at the idea that you know a man can be a, a stay-at-home dad for example when those when those people stop being the majority that's when the world shifts and things that weren't okay suddenly do become okay so you're sort of talking about letting people let's just let that older generation die and then the world will become better is that or I've, I've kind of bastardized what you said there but that that how do we kind of mitigate or negotiate agreeing to disagree with trying to actively make change and fight for change surely we have to disagree if we want to make um social change and effective social change yes disagreement is very important but the original premise of your question was should we agree to disagree Mm. and the problem is we're not agreeing to disagree we're just disagreeing and not only are we disagreeing but we're going to our tribal side of the spectrum and we're picking our our great armies in the culture war battles that are that are to come and you know again it's okay to have an opinion everybody's entitled to their opinion but what's not okay is acting like somebody is a horrible person that you don't want to associate with just because they have a different opinion from you and you know again saying that the older generation that don't understand this need to die out is a horrible way of framing this because i love old people and i'm not advocating for old people just dying because they are not tolerant but what i will say is that no matter what age you are, you have a responsibility to your society. You have a responsibility to help craft the society that you want to build. And if you don't want me to make comments like that, older listeners that might be, you know, experiencing this and going, well, hey, that's really awful of Finn to be so ageist. All I will say is that, like, work with me here, older listeners. If if you can be more um, engaging with opinions and ideas and structures that are different from yours as by the way a lot of older people in my life are and we've had some really fantastic conversations around topics like uh mental health and about uh trans representation and i think if we're able to have those conversations and that understanding is allowed to come across then that is agreeing to disagree where they might not necessarily share that opinion but at least they understand that opinion and they can respect it for what it is yeah what does it actually look like? What does agreeing to disagree mean? I mean, it's hard to answer this question in a way that 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 stresses that we're not doing this at the moment. You know, agreeing to disagree is free speech. Agreeing to disagree is democracy. You know, we talk about these Western values that have built, you know, countries like the UK... And they are so proud of their freedom. And, we're, you know, we're so much better than the Russians and the Chinese because we have freedom. And that freedom is, you know, fantastic and it makes us who we are. And yet, you know, we, you know, years after the fact on Brexit, can, it's very hard to have conversations with people where they have a different view yeah. from you. And I'm not just blaming the Brexiteers on that front. I'm also blaming the people that voted against Brexit. Because from my perspective, I, you know, I voted against Brexit. But I have always had the same philosophy throughout the referendum voting after the fact all the time. If a Brexiteer can come and convince me, Finn, this is why we shouldn't be in the European Union. And this is what we can get as a result of being in the European Union that we cannot have now. And I have asked this question to several Brexiteers, and the answers have always been focused around, well, Finn, in the Blitz, <laughs> we survived the German bombers. And it's like, okay, bit of a moot point in 2016, but, you know, I, I, I hear you. And then I've also heard, oh, but it's about, you know, making our own decisions about our own laws. And it's like, well, have you been to the European Parliament? That's what the EU Parliament was also set up on the foundations on. And, and maybe if you went all in on this rather than kind of half assing it, you wouldn't be in a situation where you were um, feeling concerned about your rights and your voice being heard in that setting. And so I think... I think agreeing to disagree looks a little bit more like what some societies on the continent look like, you know, where 
there is a lot more openness and freedom for dissenting opinions and things to be different from yours and for everybody saying, well, you know, I'm not the same as you and I don't agree with your sentiment, but I can respect that that's your opinion. And to be honest, you know, without being, oh, it was better back in my day, I feel like when I was first coming into the world, it was a lot more like that. But I think that with the dawn of social media and the internet coming on board and anyone being able to, you know, write a Twitter post or write a news article or whatever, it's just become so much more complicated because now anybody can find whatever sources to believe whatever they want to believe. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you that we we do need to have open dialogues and discussions with people that we may uh, disagree with. I think you know I'm, I won't make my political opinions um, a mystery. I'm pretty heavily left-wing. But I think one of the issues that people on the left have is that just we're not willing to discuss. And that's why I think you have, I mean, one of the many reasons for why we're having such a a rise in what feel like quite extreme right-wing views. Um, You know, I think the fact that people are able to get so isolated and alienated is partly the reason why, let's say, Donald Trump got in. Why there, there seems to be such a rise in what I think are quite extremist right-wing views. Where I kind of fumble, though, is I feel like so many people, they don't want... How... When you're dealing with people who who don't think that trans people should exist, point blank, who um, who... Are deep hold deeply white supremacist views who I can't I feel like I have a block in my brain of just like how do I discuss with people like this how do because you know how when people have views that I will say in my opinion but you know are so extremist and are really just disgusting how am I meant to mediate that sometimes I'm like I don't want to find common ground with you you don't believe that these groups of people should exist how how should i find common ground with people like that and i am speaking about you know quite extreme I'm, i know i'm kind of gone to an extreme but well but I, I i just think that agreeing to disagree doesn't is not the same as finding common ground with somebody you know a rate you know a racist could walk into the room and call me a slur it's very easy for me to agree to disagree because I'm like, okay, those are your opinions. Those are not my opinions. This is the end of the conversation. I do not need to get into a situation where I'm unpacking that person's uh, views and getting to the bottom of uh, why they thought that was an appropriate and okay thing to do. I, I could. I could try. And, you know, in a, on occasion, I'd like to think that I have been able to, like, unpack and, like, get beneath the surface on some of this stuff. But most of the time, if somebody's gotten to the point where they think that it's a good idea to say that sort of thing, probably it's a deep-rooted enough an opinion that having a conversation with somebody in itself is not going to change things. Now, that's not to say don't bother having the conversation because it's possible that maybe having the conversation will make that person realize something that they they didn't realize before. But again, the initial premise of the question was, should we agree to disagree? Right. And for me, again, you know, to take the race some point for me because I'm British Duncan, listeners maybe can't hear that in how posh in English my voice sounds, but... Uh, you know, I've dealt with racism quite a lot in, you know, my 26 years of life qualification. I I understand the the value of saying about those people, okay, they're going to have those opinions. Almost certainly I won't be able to change those opinions, certainly not in a moment, and I certainly won't be able to eradicate the world of people that think that, I don't know, slaves, and having slaves was a good idea. But, you know, it's a it's a big old world out there, and the way part of the benefit of being a big old world out there is that if I don't want to interact with that person, I can. And it's easy for me to, you know, by respect that that's that person's opinion, that doesn't mean like it, that doesn't mean think it's okay, that doesn't mean, um, you know, wave the flag for, you know, they should go around to everybody and say this. 
but it does mean to say that that is their opinion they are entitled to it because they are a human being and the reason that Brexit and Trump and the rise of the right has happened is because there's a heck of a lot of the population who don't feel heard and don't feel listened to and you want to talk about things that the left have got wrong that's a huge one is that we haven't made those people feel listened to and made them feel included in the conversation. And I'd like to imagine that when we're looking to a future where that agreeing to disagree thing does work, that the left have found a way to move a little bit towards the right in order to go, okay, well, how can you feel included in this conversation in a way that doesn't turn into a yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, because that's not valuable for anybody. I think this question really... Oh, it feels like it's... Cause it's melting my brain. I think I'm just like, it's, it feels like such a contradiction to agree to disagree. And I think, again, when where I kind of personally come up, with, where I struggle with this concept is when you're dealing with people. Let, let's go on the topic of um, trans-exclusive radical feminists, TERFs, where they want to roll back rights of those people when when um, in America right now, when they're rolling back abortion access, I look at those people and I go, I I just, I don't think I can agree to that. I can't respect your opinion when your your opinion is actively hurting people. That you said earlier that, you know, people can kind of, in the opening you said, you know, there's so much disinformation that people can mold their reality to be whatever they want. I just look at that and I go, but that's not right that isn't right and I can't with people who are you know policy makers I go I can't respect your opinion when your opinion is actively hurting people I do you know what I mean by that I do know what you mean but I also think the genie is out of the bottle on that like you know the internet and you know what possibly is a good thing in the lack of regulation around the internet and who can post what and who can claim to be a journalist and all that sort of thing has created this world where, you know, anybody can say or do whatever they want on there. I mean, that won't, that won't be a surprise to your listeners. They can, they can even find this podcast on the internet. That's the and, it, and it's on Instagram and Twitter, <laughs> at The Exam Hall Pod. And we're now also on YouTube, The Exam Hall, best podcast on the world. Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, best podcast ever. Enough the ad read. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I just think, I, I totally hear what you're saying. But again, like to, to, to take the turfs, to take J.K. Rowling, for example, you know, Edinburgh's, Edinburgh's favourite resident. <laughs> um, you know, of course the opinions that she has are bonkers. And of course it, it's crazy that maybe we're looking at another group of people now and they're yeah. still not realising that maybe they might have got it wrong and that when they said you know, that maybe we should respect all humans the same amount that, you know, we we deliver that umbrella. But again, clearly people like J.K. Rowling do not feel hurt. And she has a whole lot of privilege. I'm not going to give her a free pass for not feeling hurt because if anybody has had a platform to say and do whatever she wants, it's her. But what I am saying is that opinions like that and perspectives like that, you know, it's like... um, it's like the phrase goes, hurt people, hurt people. And people who have those views are clearly people who have been hurt and clearly think that by scapegoating trans people, they are doing what they believe is right to protect feminists and female-only spaces. Now, I don't agree with that. I'm very uh, pro-trans. I've had a number of conversations with people here in Scotland where over the last year... This has been a huge debate that's like, I mean, arguably took Nicola Sturgeon's reign as um, first minister down, but that's a whole nother podcast. But I've, you know, I've said exactly the same thing about this to everyone I've talked to. It, it ultimately doesn't make a difference to my life. So if it's something that could make a huge difference to somebody else's life, why wouldn't you just go and do it? But again, it's the agree to disagree question that you brought up initially. I totally understand and appreciate why somebody would have those views and even though I seriously disagree with them I'm not going to stop interacting with somebody because they have those views 
I think this is where we disagree because I, while I do think that um, it's important when someone you know uh, expresses a view that, um, in your opinion, is wrong, if someone sort of expresses something which is discriminatory or um, prejudiced, I do think it is important if they're your friend to kind of pull them up on that and say, well, you know, that's actually not right. And I, I, I know from experience how helpful and powerful those conversations can be. But I think what I disagree with you is I couldn't be friends or associate with someone when we've had these conversations and but they still continue to hold these views i just couldn't do that on on the issue of um trans people just because we're on the topic if, if you know if i was friends with someone and they didn't believe that um trans people should be allowed in bathrooms let's say that's a big hot topic i think after a while i would just really struggle to be their friend i you know and i wouldn't just drop them the moment they said that but i would after when if when people hold those views i i i really struggle to be around them and i don't i think i just i can't make peace with that i think no i i I mean again just to clarify i think i would struggle to be around somebody who had those views too but i guess what i'm trying to say is that I, again, the, the premise of the original question was, should we agree to disagree? And what I, what I am saying is that even though I might be reevaluating my friendship with that person, or maybe saying I don't want to be friends with somebody who, who thinks this way, yeah. I am you know, completely believing in their entitlement to having that opinion again like it's hard to talk about agreeing to disagree without me saying um it's okay for someone to be racist or it's okay for someone to be transphobic but i also think that if we don't have those conversations if we don't have the that that disagreement that eventually leads to the agreeing to disagree um framework then you're left in a situation where everybody only talks to the people who they share the same opinion as and then nothing changes and the the spectrum and the divide just gets worse so i think that we need people who have different opinions coming together having these conversations agreeing to disagree in a way that is respectful and doesn't descend into name calling or you know fights or riots or whatever but I also think that it's a very touchy subject and it's very difficult to, to navigate. And of course, you know, because with a topic like this, you know, it, it's, so, it's so entrenched into our identities. Yeah. It's, it's hard to not take these things extraordinarily personally and feel like they are attack, an attack on us mm. when we feel that, like, you are, you know, you do not believe... Um, I... Oh, goodness, what was it recently? Yes, uh, somebody said to me that um, they thought uh, the best thing that happened to India was the British colonising it, for example. And that's a a classic example of, oh, God, okay, really? You think that? Um, Yeah. But, you know, I... Even though I seriously disagree with that, I will still hear that opinion... And I will still be like, okay, fine, you have that opinion, but I will have this opinion. And if we get into a conversation on this, I will continue to make the points and arguments as to why I think you are wrong. But I'm ultimately not going to let it descend to a situation where like, we're not having those conversations or it gets out of hand or one of us is disrespectful towards each other because then we can't have those conversations and then the divide just grows and grows and grows. Absolutely. Maybe agreeing to disagree is just the belief that everyone is allowed to have their own opinion. Well, exactly. Like, I think, and again, this is a problem that I think the left has, is that the moment you start policing who is or is not allowed to have an opinion, or who's allowed to have the right opinion, then we're in a really dangerous position as a society. Now, 
I I said around the uh, Brexit referendum, and I, and I still do say this, and again, this is another controversial statement. I, I told you that, like, I can't lie on podcasts. I told you that, like, I will tell the truth, and I'll be honest, and maybe I'll get cancelled for some of the things that I say. But um, I said that the public are stupid. And when I said this, again, around the Brexit referendum, other people at drama school looked at me and were like, oh, Finn, you can't say that. And then I clarified, I don't think individual people are stupid but i think when people are brought together into a huge group that's when mass mentality kicks in it's where boaty mcboatface comes from boaty mcboatface to, to tell the story to listeners who don't know this again around the time of the brexit referendum the royal geographical society uh, had a new boat and they put it out to social media for um the public to name the boat. They thought that'd be a really good idea. And to be fair, it really was a good idea. And somebody suggested naming the boat, this, you know, big expensive boat, the Royal Geographical Society Commission, Boaty McBoatface. And this went wild on social media and everybody voted for this. And in the end, that ended up being what the public chose. And in the end, the Geographical Society had to come back and say, well, we're not doing that. We are going to go for the second choice, and we're going to name the teeny lifeboat at the side, Birdie McBoatface. Now, what that story teaches us is that you put a group of people together, and the larger and larger that group gets, it's harder to communicate a nuanced idea. It's why, in a way, football is so great to watch, is because when you're in a stadium with 90,000 people and 88,000 of you supporting the same team, you know, that, the message doesn't need to be nuanced. It's very clear. Arsenal is good. We <laughs> want Arsenal to win. We hate the other team. Um, really simple, really easy idea. Um, again, to take this to, to Brexit, uh, take control of our country back. You know, the Tories in the 2019 election campaign, get Brexit done. Um, Trump, make America great again. Uh, the reason these slogans, particularly for the right, are so, so important is because getting that really clear message across yeah. is what allows it to become really digestible and really easy to understand. And then, however, and again, this is the other flip side of that, if you go and speak to individual people about why they voted for Brexit or, you know, why uh, they voted Trump or why they voted Conservative, they probably have a very clear, very reasonable explanation for why that is the case and why they think that and why they thought that was a good thing. And you probably could have a really interesting conversation about it. And you, again, agree or disagree, even if you don't agree with their views, you can still look at that and go, okay, fine, that makes enough sense for me to go, yeah, okay, fine. However, when you're trying to translate that, you know, very nuanced, very specific, very individual opinion for why they're doing a thing into a, you know, an election of millions and millions of people. It just doesn't come across that way. And that's why, like, we, we, have, to, we have to open up our, our space of dialogue for everybody to be able to engage in those conversations because otherwise the loudest voice is just the one that everyone hears. And the loudest voice is probably suggesting that a Royal Geographical Society boat should be named Bodie McBoatface. As it should be. I think that's a brilliant name for a boat. What else would you call it? What did they call it? Do you know? Yeah, they called it the David Attenborough, which, you know, is probably quite a sensible, good idea for what to name a boat, you know, that the Royal Geographical Society have commissioned. I mean, I, you know... David David Attenborough's book great, but I think it's very important to recognise the um, uh, what Boaty McBoatface has done for our society and for the conservation of uh, wildlife. Sherry, how dare you suggest that it would be better to name a ship after Boaty McBoatface <laughs> after everything I have done. For this country. Oh, sorry, guys. David, David Attenborough just walked How past. You know? <laughs> Respect. <laughs> sorry, guys. David Attenborough just walked past. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, David. Sorry. Um, let's agree to disagree, David. <laughs> Way. Whoa. Bringing it back to the topic of today's episode. I'm wondering, have you had any kind of uh, 
moments of agreeing to disagree, any notable moments of agreeing to disagree with a person. Just, yeah, anything notable, whether it was sort of you came to common ground or you went away, like, with a sense of kind of not... Like, have you had any experiences where you've kind of agreed to disagree or you haven't agreed to disagree and any notable experiences like that? Well, again, we're going to get a little therapy session here. <laughs> but the, the headline is that I don't speak to my family anymore, like none of the immediate members of my family. And again, there are com- I, I could go very deep into kind of my childhood and how that all works, but the, the long story short kind of headline version of it is that when I got with the woman who is now my wife, my, my mum in particular was extraordinarily disrespectful towards her um, inclusion and her membership effectively of the family that you know even it's always complicated when it's like you bring a a partner home and you know you're just date beginning to date and get to know each other um but it, it got to the point where like months would go by and my mum would still be making very sly very negative comments often behind my my wife's back about you know her holding me back or her not being good enough for me or um how during covid because they, my family were in Canada at the time. I was in the UK with my with my wife. She was saying, "Oh, you should come out to Canada, and she should go back to France, and you should meet back uh, later." And you know, all these sorts of things. Where eventually I stood up and I was like, "No, Mum, this is not okay." Like I, I, you know, I'd like you to apologize to to Mel. And and again, long, really long story short, that that did not happen. And she basically refused to to do so, to go and apologize to, to my wife. And so I said to her, well, look, this is fine, but I don't feel like you are respecting my rights to a choice over the person that I love and the person that I go and marry. So by all means, you know, you want to have those opinions, fine. But this woman is about to become attached to me forever. You know, I live with her you know, we, we are going to get married. Like, that is all, like, stuff that is going to happen. And therefore, if you can't accept that and get on board with it, then I don't really want to have anything to, to do with you. And that's been an extraordinarily difficult process because um, my sister and dad have, have effectively taken my mum's side in a lot of it. You know, my mum my is a psychology major. She is extraordinarily good at emotionally manipulating people as, again to not go full into the childhood backstory, but she did for quite a lot of my upbringing. But, but basically, I, you know, I asked my mum, my, my dad and my sister, you know, look, you can have whatever relationship you want to have with my mum. This is my situation. And if you can't respect that and you can't treat me as my own human being, then, you know, I can't have any interaction with you guys either. And it's been incredibly difficult because it's meant that I've effectively had to give up my immediate family to be with the woman that I love. But again, that is a, I, I would frame that as a situation in which ultimately we agreed to disagree. And it was a, you know, I went kicking and screaming down to that point. Like I disagreed for a long, long time about that. And I tried to convince my mum to see it my way. And I tried to say, please just apologise. Please just apologise. You know, just please sort the situation out. She's family, blah, 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 blah. Um, but when I realized that wasn't going to happen and I realized that that wasn't going to change, I didn't just accept that that was her opinion. I respected it, but I'm like, well, if this is your opinion, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with you and I can't engage with you. And maybe there are listeners who, who hear this and go, well, that's not agreeing to disagree because you walked away from that relationship. I still love my mum very much. I still have an immense amount of respect for my mum. I think she did incredible things for me growing up that made me the person that I am you know that will never change however I also think it is okay that when you are in a situation where you feel like there is an unhealthy dynamic as a child with your parent and you don't feel like you're being listened to and heard or you're looking at behavior and going I wouldn't take this from a friend or a lover why is it that because they're your parents that you are suddenly going to go and, and take that and believe that? And I think a lot, certainly from my experience, when I've opened up about this story, 
so many people have gone, yeah, I had a similar experience. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, my, my family does this. But so often, because people can't agree to disagree, they just stew on their disagreements and they get really angry and resentful at the other person about it. And of course, I'm frustrated at my mum, but I've emotionally let so much of that go because I'm like, you know what, that's just who she is. And that makes me sad and that's unfortunate, but she had her own shit growing up with her family. And in a way, it's just generational trauma that I'm now taking and trying to meld into, you know, doing something happy and helpful and useful with it. Thank you for sharing. That's a really touching story. And I'm sure many people can relate to that sort of experience. That also takes a lot of bravery. You know, part of agreeing to disagree is the bravery to stand up and disagree with someone and it's something I'm a big pushover I'm a people pleaser and it's something I'm desperately trying to hammer out of myself but that takes a lot of bravery to stand up and say actually I don't think that where do you think that for you where do where do you find that bravery and how can people um listening who like me are people pleasers where where can you how do you think you can find that bravery to stand up and go no I think I think something different than you do well to be honest I'm, I'm exactly the same I'm very much a people pleaser and everything I knew about my mum I knew for a long time I knew before I, I dated the woman that would go on to be my wife I you know I would be in relationships and my family would make up nicknames for the people who I dated And then years after we had dated would kind of reference them by their nicknames. Like horrible things like that that were considered okay, you know. Because again, if the main bully's doing it, then the side bullies are going to feel like it's okay to kind of join in along with them. And I think bullies are a really good way of framing it. Because a lot of the time with relationships like that, that is what's going on. It's somebody in a position of power going... I want you to do this, or I want you to think this, or I think it's okay to make a joke about this, and you have to take it because I am in a higher position of power than you. If I... I'm going to give the kind of why I did what I did at the time answer to this, and then I'm going to give the in retrospect answer. I stood up and did what I did at the moment that I did it because I said to myself, it's not just me that's involved now. It's a woman that I'm living with who is having to take this shit every single time I have an interaction with my mum. And whereas I signed up to... Well, I didn't sign up to her being my mum, but, you know, I I can't change the fact that she's my mum. She was very much able to change who she was dating. And so I knew that if I, if I didn't ultimately go to my wife's side, I was going to lose her. And then I'd be in a situation where, you know, I had my mum and I had that family relationship, but a relationship that, again, I knew was broken and I knew wasn't working. So the reason that I stood up for myself at the time was I was like, okay, this isn't just affecting me anymore. This is affecting people I love outside of the family and and that's not okay. In, In retrospect, in hindsight, when I look at this situation, when I explain this to other people, I think what I tell them is, you know, life is so short you could walk out into the street while you're listening to this podcast even and get hit by a car look both ways before crossing the street oh my god if you are crossing a road right now look both ways please yes please do Um, but the point is like life is so short and you know particularly when you become an adult like the years just flow by so freaking quickly Um, you know I, I remember being 18 like it was yesterday And yet suddenly here we are, eight years have gone by, I've been to, you know, this is my fifth Edinburgh Fringe that I've been to, and suddenly I'm like, whoa, okay, I'm I'm older now. And and that's okay, because age is a very natural part of life, and things coming to an end, you know, the darkness, the light, all the stuff we were talking about in the intro. The Edinburgh euphoria and the room filled with water, that that classic, (laughs) that classic uh, idiom, absolutely. Exactly, but I... I think that if you've got somebody in your life, no matter who they are, that is making it miserable, don't stick with it for the sake of it. 
again, we talk about creating your own reality in terms of news and political beliefs or whatever. You are perfectly able to do that with the people as well. And I think, again, if I had a complaint about that, completely different podcast, I think sometimes people are so selective about that nowadays that they are that they can be quite picky about saying oh, you know, I don't want you in my life anymore, so I'm going to block you. But again, a whole other podcast. The point is, there is nobody who's so important in your life that if you feel they are being abusive or disrespectful, that it makes sense to keep them around. No matter, no matter who they are, life is just too short to not be surrounding yourself with people who love you and care about you and want you to succeed and where you feel that every single time you have an interaction with them. That's fucking brilliant. I love that. And that... I think my initial reaction to the question was agreeing to disagree feels like almost complacency. But that's really reframed it in my mind. That's turned, it's, a, it's taking back power in many ways. It's saying... Yeah, it's that thing of, again, standing up and saying, I have an opinion that is different to yours, and you are allowed to have your opinion. But the inverse of that is, I am also allowed to have my opinion, and you are not, if I'm not allowed to tell you your opinion's wrong, you are also not allowed to tell me my opinion's wrong. I'd never, I'd never thought about it in that way before. Absolutely. I mean, in the early days of the Boundless Youth Advisory Group that, that, that you are still a part of and that I was a part of once upon a time, uh, Rob brought a bunch of us to a, a panel discussion that was basically on this very subject, that was basically around this idea of, I think it was to do with um, the, uh, the stuff that was going on in schools in Birmingham around um, Islamic uh, people coming in. Again, I don't know this anecdote very well, so I shouldn't be telling it. But the point is that what this panel discussion was exploring is the idea that, you know, if we want to live in a democratic, free speech society that we get all so excited about, then that means that space has to be there for everything. You know, we, we need, if we want, you know, really left-wing plays out there, we also need to make the space for really right-wing plays to be out there. And we should, you know not treat audiences like sheep who'll just believe whatever, but acknowledge to audiences that they are part of the society, they have the right to an opinion and a, and a perspective on it, and that they should be able to go and see a piece of work and formulate their own opinions about how they view it and what they think of it. And that in a way, as you say, yes, having an opinion is power. And in that regard, agreeing to disagree is power, because it's saying this is who I am and this is my identity and you don't have to like it and it doesn't have to be your cup of tea, but this is me. And, you know, I love that about myself and I'm proud of who I am, you know, and all I ask is, you know, you don't have to like me, you don't have to be my best friend, but just acknowledge that I have this opinion and that it is okay to have that opinion. I think that's a great place to say that this exam is now over. Time's up. Uh, Put your pens down. Can you give me the thesis statement to the question, should people agree to disagree? Um, I think the thesis statement is uh, agreeing, agreeing to disagree is one of the most fundamental uh, aspects of developing and maintaining our identity as people then oh coming out here with bangers oh my god i can't and you hadn't you didn't know what question i was going to ask you i can't believe that that (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) now all souls only lets in one to two people every year one year actually in multiple years nobody has got in because they said no one is good enough for us. However, here at Spotify's number one podcast, Don't Look That Up, <laughs> the exam hall, everybody gets in. Our gates are not kept. We leave them unlocked and wide open. You should probably hold on to your bags. So we've given your application careful consideration. We've gone through it with a fine tooth comb, fine Fine tooth combed, yeah, that's the one. one. And I am thrilled to 
congratulate you on your acceptance into the hallowed halls of the alumni of the exam hall. How does it feel? Woo! Feels amazing. Do I get a hat? Oh, fuck. We don't have I only, I only applied for this college because I thought I got a fun hat. We have stickers, but we don't have hats. You know what? I should get some exact, like some free pens. You know when you go and visit a university and they give you like free pens and a free notebook? I should get some of those and like a little tote bag that every guest gets. I, I think every guest should get a little mortarboard, I think. <laughs> now, if you got into All Souls, you would be given a seven-year period in which you would be given a salary. You'd be given board. You would be able to study any subject of your choice at Oxford. Uh, you would get contacts of leading professionals in your area and you'd get funding for a research project of your choice. And it's really just kind of anything you want. So it's kind of every academic's wet dream, essentially. <laughs> um, the removal of all financial barriers, a lot of open doors being flung open. If you had seven years and time and money and support, what would you try and achieve? Do I have to be geographically based in Oxford to do this project? Oh, I think so. Because, okay. I mean, they give you somewhere to live, so I'm assuming that that is restricted to the uh, kind of... Bound, so to the Oxford area, though you could always be like, uh, my flat in Edinburgh, you need to pay the rent on it because it's vital to my research. Okay, so I think that if I was given this opportunity... I would do what I have always wanted to do and hopefully will uh, get around to doing at some point, which is I would, I would find a little space somewhere in the, the general Oxford area, somewhere probably a little bit on the outskirts, I'm thinking uh, maybe something like Haddington, Cowley, Ifley kind of area, you know, for, for those of you who know Oxford. Somewhere a little bit on the outskirts, but where I can get like a, a, a cheaper, big space. And I would open an arts venue and I would run that arts venue for those seven years and I would say I would I would again with my professional you know industry contacts and with other people in the Oxford arts community I would you know start by asking a whole load of questions about you know what do you want your dream art space to be and how can we reimagine what an art space is and how can we make an art space something where it's not just you come see a show, but it's a community hub that people go to throughout the day and experience and explore ideas, much like the experiences and ideas that we've explored on this podcast. But, you know, a, a, well, maybe not 24 hours, but maybe, a you know, a 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, space where, where people could come and feel like they were um, a part of something. What's stopping this space from existing already, either either in a pre-existing space or in this uh, hypothetical space in Oxford? Well, I think money. I think it's a really easy answer. I think, you know, uh, capitalism, which for me is the little, the little snake that kind of weaves its mm. way through all of these conversations and every aspect of our society... But, you know, spaces cost money and maintaining spaces cost money and all of the logistics around setting up a space and getting things like alcohol licenses and all those sort of things, you know, it, it costs money. It's a lot of, of infrastructure, which is why you don't get a lot of kind of newly established spaces because the spaces that do exist are the spaces that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years and therefore have tradition and... Uh, patrons going back several generations and so much more infrastructure to support the government going and paying them to do something. Whereas if you were to come in and, and be the nouveau riche effectively, you would need a whole load of money to be able to, to go and compete on the same scale. And because theatre is not something that makes money it's not really something that exists. It would be a little bit like, you know, a private investor investing a whole load of money in an alternative form of firefighting. It's like, well, it's probably interesting, but is it the best way to spend your money? Probably not. But for the sake of this opportunity and Oxford, I would frame doing this as an, a grand experiment, you know, where I would try to work as much as possible with various departments at the university, where I try to work with... Um, various NGOs and charities and arts organizations to say, you know, I have some space. Like, what could we, 
what can we do for you in it that would be valuable and then shoving as much as possible into that space so that more and more people are encouraged to to come and be a part of it and hopefully at the end it would be eligible for arts council regular (laughs) funding um but if not then it's been seven years of being a really beautiful um oasis of the arts are not just being this entertainment center but being this live community hub where people can can come and, and do what i've always believed the arts is best at doing which is bringing people together to become something greater than the sum of the parts you've had quite an interesting path in education you as you said earlier you've been homeschooled um i'm wondering what was your experience with education what sort of your relationship with education in that idea that kind of traditional sense sitting down and learning because like education can be many things how do you think all souls would hypothetically fit into all of that well, I'm glad you asked. Now that I've passed the hardest exam in the world, I can <laughs> I can I can tell you all exams are bullshit. Um, which again might be the hottest take of all the hot takes I've delivered on this podcast. But um, you know, again, I did do exams, not a whole load of them, but I did do three exams when I was in my penultimate year of school, and it, it really is bullshit because you spend a year memorizing a whole load of information just to spew it all up on one piece of paper over a two-hour period and then as soon as it's over you've forgotten it i got an a in gcse physics i could tell you maybe five percent of what i learned whereas on the other hand the same year i did a philosophy class and i remember every single thing that i got taught during it because it was framed much more as you're learning for the sake of your life experiences and you're learning for the sake of situations and quandaries and, and places and perspectives that you will be in. And therefore, it was much more valuable. You want to talk about, you know, a, an opportunity like this, we should be acknowledging the value of experiential learning. We should be acknowledging the value of the best way to teach somebody and teach something is allowing them to, to go out into the world and actually go and do it. You know, you can tell a child, don't touch the stove, but they'll learn not to get burnt because they touch the stove, not because a parent or a teacher tells them not to do it because that just makes you want to do it even more. So, again, now that I've, you know, risen to the point of being in a position of influence and power around this subject, I would like to moot that my funding is divvied out to 10 different people and they get three months of being able to explore their idea, and that is how they choose who they bring forward for this seven-year opportunity. Because I think it's only by giving people an opportunity to go out into the world and experience stuff and make mistakes and get things wrong that they're able to actually go and learn the things that make a difference. Finn, thank you so much for being here today. You've given so many brilliant insights and I'm really so so um, thrilled and honoured that uh, you came and you spoke to me before we say goodbye and we send you on your way on the path of learning and fulfilment and enlightenment that you'll no doubt reach after spending an hour with me uh, (laughs) talking about education and agreements and disagreements before I let you go do you have anything you would like to plug, promote, or any final words of wisdom that you wish to leave us with? Ah, uh, okay, things to promote. Well, I run a company called Island Life Productions here in Edinburgh. We work with emerging artists and members of the public to create high-quality art. So if you're listening to this and you are an artist of any form, we, walk, we work across the disciplines. Head to islandlifeproductions.com. We're on all the socials. Or send me an email at finn at islandlifeproductions.com. That's Finn with one N, so F-I-N, like a fish or a shark at unlifeproductions.com in terms of podcasts if you like podcast stuff I have a podcast called Passport People where I talk to people from around the world about the places that matter to them so all types of different uh, people and backgrounds and locations Um, and if you like Eurovision and we're interested in the Eurovision podcast stuff I do stuff for ESC Insights who do Eurovision news and uh, opinion stuff throughout the year so if you are a Eurovision fan go and check that out as well yeah yeah ding dong <laughs> this is it this is the end thank you for being here so today you've come to the wait we can't afford the rights oh stop fuck it. no no <laughs> stop it <laughs> thank you
Thank you for listening to the Exam Hall podcast. If you want to stay updated with the Exam Hall, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the Exam Hall Pod. And we also have a YouTube channel now, which is just the Exam Hall. Uh, and while you're there, uh, scrolling the seas of social media, if you want to stay updated with me, your gracious host, Cherry, you can find me at Cherry the Eckle on Instagram and Twitter and Cherry Eckle on YouTube. Let's let's start some discourse why don't you like send a hate comment my way or something and i can agree to disagree with you on that if you would like to be a guest on a future episode of the exam hall please get in touch i would love to have you on board you can click the link in the description which will take you to an expression of interest form or you can get in contact on one of the aforementioned social medias Uh, i want to give a very very big shout out to boundless theater whose support made this podcast possible and i want to give a really big shout out to you for listening to this podcast that's a very kind thing of you to do Uh, i hope you didn't get hit by any buses while you listen to this podcast and if you did get hit by a bus well i hope that you went out smiling um this is probably a good place to leave the podcast i'll see you next time bye